Can we outlaw fun today? <laughs> we got the power to do that, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. The song, sun right? is up. The sky is blue. And I am still reading this book, Jurisprudence. <laughs> <laughs> this pussy goes to Hong Kong. Welcome to episode 19 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by our good friends at Greek's Pizzeria. Go to greekspizzeria.com to order your delicious pizza pie today. Greek's Pizzeria, guys, it's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russell Slivka. Blaine, you are in charge of the books we pick, the drinks that we have and the names of the episode. Please share with the good people. What are we calling episode 19? Why don't we start with the book? So the book is called Rutherford B. Hayes. It's part of the American Presidential Series, uh, much like the Taylor book we read. It is by Hans L. Trefos. Hans? Hans L. Trefos. Is he Dutch? Hans is very much a German name, isn't it? He's a melting pot. It was written in 2002. It comes in at a resounding 150 pages. Yeah, this one was pretty easy, relatively speaking. It was short. It was hard to take notes on. I feel underprepared. (laughs) And this episode is called The Fraudulent. Mm, The Fraudulent. We'll get to that in around 1876. Just a couple letters shy of his nickname. That's right. His fraudulency. I feel like nicknames back in the day were either old something or his something. Mm-hmm. We weren't that far removed from England. No, we weren't. Hans Trefus, I think he wrote another one of the books that we read or are so reading. Too. Yeah. yeah. We have I- a page tally. 19 presidents in. We are just shy of 9,000 pages read. 8,641 pages. Tonight, Russ, you picked this up today. I did. This is a nice chilly drink that we're enjoying. It is a Goose Island Lemonade Shandy. And why did you pick this drink, Russ? Because Rutherford B. Hayes' wife Uh was known as... Lemonade Lucy. The First Lady. The First Lady who was named Lemonade Lucy. Yeah, that's right. Correct. Because they were staunch, what is the term, teetotalers? Teetotalers. Non-drinkers. We'll discuss that a little later. He had some political reasoning behind it. She was a little bit more of a temperance movement kind of lady based on her. He made a decision based on his politics. Religious beliefs, yeah. Weird. Gents, what do you remember about Rudy Hayes from... Is that... No, I I just went on the fly. They did call him Rudd as a kid. Rudd. Yeah, well, nothing I don't to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing. No. Like, I read this book and don't yeah. remember a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I took notes on it. I yeah. still know nothing about I this I reread guy. my notes. I was like, how yeah. are there only four pages? Yeah. Well, we're going to we're gonna learn a lot about him tonight. So cheers, boys, <laughs> to, to Rutherford B. Hayes. Wherever you are, cheers to you. Ah, reaching across the soundboard. That's dangerous. Can you hear my hand? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rutherford Burchard Hayes. That's what the B stands for. Burchard. Burchard. Like Richard, but yeah. with a B. Like, I feel like that was probably just a typo. <laughs> Somebody's R got a little bit too excited, and they were like, yeah, it's Burchard now. Wait, my middle name's Burchard? <laughs> <laughs> they called him Bick. <laughs> Take that stupid beard off. Four years old. Why do you have a beard? <laughs> 
If you look at him, he's got a glorious beard. He I mean, does it's, have it's, a it's beard. It's down to like sternum level. Uh, anyway, Rutherford Burchard Hayes was born in Delaware, Ohio, north of Columbus, if you're wondering where that is, on October 4th, 1822, during 5th President James Monroe's administration's era of good feelings. His mother was Sophia Burchard Hayes, and his father, Rutherford Hayes Jr., was a farmer. Well, dad died 11 weeks before Rutherford was even born, so Sophia had to fend for herself and raise her son and his older sister, Fanny, on her own. Sophia was able to raise money by renting out a farm near their home, and his uncle Sardis Burchard, so his mom's brother, was a successful business. His uncle was named after a time machine? Sardis? Is that not the time machine? From uh, Doctor Who? When you said time machine, I went H.G. Wells. Oh no. What's the Doctor Who time machine? It's that phone booth, the police phone booth? Doctor Who. It's a British television show. Oh, see, yeah. yeah. I've never seen it. I know it's very popular. It's weird that you've been around for like 40 years. <laughs> but is Sardis the name of the time machine? I. I don't know. It, it sounds familiar. Okay. Well, his uncle was a uh, successful businessman, helped out the family, took care of his nieces and nephews, bought him books and the like. And as a boy, Rutherford struggled with a severe... Was close. close. What was it? Tardis. Tardis. Yeah, you were. You were yeah. close. Yeah, good job. As a boy, he suffered with a severe irrational fear known as lysophobia. L-Y-S-S-O-phobia. He was scared of lisps. Lisps. <laughs> Who put an S in Lisp, though? Just call it L-I-T-H-P. Yeah. Just that's how you should say the word. Some super mean guy who's like, this will show him. (laughs) So is that what he was scared of? The same guy who made the word dyslexic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, lysophobia is the fear of going insane. (laughs) Apparently he had some relatives. He doesn't have that fear. (laughs) (laughs) Fight that daily. This was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this was a severe crippling disease to yeah. young Rutherford behaves. Apparently some family members had gone insane. Does not everybody have that? And he was just like, it's me next. It's It's got to be me. It has huh. to be me. So yeah. it's kind of crazy. Right? Yeah. Rudd. Uh, he was educated at schools in his hometown of Delaware and nearby Norwalk, Ohio, and Middletown, Connecticut. And he was a very good student. Go ahead. Wait, what? Yeah. Nearby Norwalk, Ohio, and Connecticut. No, I said... Delaware and nearby Norwalk and Connecticut. Well, okay, that wasn't so nearby. No, it was Far the away. opposite of nearby. Yes, it well, was the other side of the country at that point. <laughs> that's right. Ohio was the Western Reserve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, they were like, you know what, you're doing real well here. Why don't we send you to Connecticut? Oh gosh, that's a ocean away, isn't it? Yeah, no. basically. He then enrolled at Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. Kenyon? Huh? Kenyon? Kenyon? What did I say? Kenyon? I think it's Kenyon. Kenyon? Yeah. They're the marathoners. You would know more about that. This one has an O. That's right. Kenyan. While at Kenyan slash Kenyan, <laughs> he became very interested in the election of 1840 and wholeheartedly supported William Henry Harrison and wrote in his Good. diary that he was never more elated by anything in my life. Nothing had captured his attention until... More than an election? William Henry Harrison. He graduated from that school that he went to, that we can't agree on the pronunciation of, Kenyon College, as valedictorian of the class of 1842. And without knowing it at the time, of course, he became the first American president to actually graduate law school. Yeah. So, like, he was actually, like, he had a lot of firsts. Mm -hmm. But one of them was, like, he was basically probably the most formally educated president up to his point yes we know quincy was probably the smartest more than likely the smartest but he was by far the most formally educated Correct. president mm-hmm. yep 
He put in a brief 10 months at a Columbus, Ohio law firm. Then he went to Harvard, where he earned a doctorate of law degree in 1845. Jurisprudence. Yeah, the JD, right? Yeah. The doctor of, doctorate of yeah. jurisprudence. Yeah, yeah. Jurisprudence. That's, that's a fun word. Yeah. It's very hoity-toity. Jurisprudence. <laughs> Open well, up your eyes. eyes. Jurisprudence. <laughs> that's that the song, right? The sun is up. The sky is blue. <laughs> and I am still reading this book, Jurisprudence. <laughs> After five years of practice at a lower Sandusky, Ohio law firm, following his time at Harvard, you guys, oh, we can yeah, say the name. Big Tom Callahan. <laughs> Stop it. No, we can't say that name. Without... It's the name of a town. Well, yeah, where Big Tom Callahan was. <laughs> Big Tom Callahan. Yeah. I mean, you can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up a bull's ass. Well, You'd no, rather take my be, word for it's it. It's got to be your bull. He moved to Cincinnati in 1849 to try and make a better living than he was in Lower Sandusky, Ohio, selling brake pads in the movie <laughs> Tommy Boy. It was there in Cincinnati that his opposition to slavery drove him to uh, the Republican Party. On December 30th, 1852, Hayes married Lucy Ware Webb. Her father was a doctor who had passed away when she was just a baby, so they had that in common where they didn't know their fathers. His father died before he was born. Yeah, 11 yeah. weeks. Yeah. Webb met Hayes in 1847, and she was strongly against slavery and strongly for temperance. The Hayeses would go on to have eight children, five of whom would survive to adulthood. Their son James would become a hero later during the Spanish-American War. Sadly, Rutherford's older sister Fanny died of dysentery while playing Oregon Trail, <laughs> Trail. in 1856 <laughs> while in childbirth, which devastated her younger brother. In 1858, the Cincinnati City Council, the Triple C, appointed the up-and-coming Rutherford B. Hayes to fill the position of city solicitor. I don't really know what that is, but it sounds something when you important. sell cities. Yeah. <laughs> Just open up. He's, yeah. He's like, city for sale. <laughs> open up the trench coat. He wants a city. <laughs> like a binder. He's like, what do you think? Do you, ah, think? you want one of these Dolph, cities? Minnesota. This one has an arch. This one's... <laughs> The following year, he was reelected to the post, which helped boost his public profile across the state of Ohio. Okay, so the Civil War breaks out, and he's outraged by the attack on Fort Sumter in 1861, and he joined the Burnett Rifles, a volunteer home company, and was named a major in the 23rd Ohio Volunteer Infantry. He was nearly 40 years old, and he had no military experience at the start of the war. This unit also included fellow future President uh, McKinley who was a private mm -hmm. in Private Hayes's... and then a lieutenant. He got yeah. promoted the same battle that Hayes got shot in. Yeah, he got shot in several. He was uh, he had a wounded knee uh, in 1862 <laughs> in Virginia. Oh, gosh. I didn't even <laughs> that know. That was his battle wrong. of wounded knee. <laughs> his own personal battle of wounded knee. <laughs> That's a good one, Blake. A gunshot uh, the, wound in the left arm during the Battle of South Mountain in Maryland. So that one was pretty wild. Uh-huh. So he got shot in the arm and was still commanding his unit and told his soldiers to perform a flank on the enemy. Okay. And the soldiers left. They uh, just like, <laughs> peaced out. Yeah, they, and they left him literally oh, laying in the field in between two oh. front lines. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and they eventually like came back and got him and got him to the hospital and wow. everything. But. Yeah, when he was like, all right, it's just the arm. All right, I need you to flank left. And they're like, actually, we're going back there we're gonna, uh, to our tent. Yeah, we're going to go home like, now. We'll come back later if you're still alive. Where are they? They should be here by <laughs> yeah. now. It's like I, the, the enemy's right there. There's plenty of room for the left flanking movement. I'll just sit here. My and arm smarts. 
My arm is smarting. Oh, I'm just going to sit here and grow my beard. Thinking of my days at Kenyon. Another battle, he had a horse shot out from under him, and the second battle of Kernstown in Shenandoah. 1860. Shenandoah. Was it yeah, that? The Shenandoah Valley. Okay. That may be one of those, we call it Shenandoah, they call it Kernstown things. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were probably looking at one of the sympathizer sites. Oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, no, though, he had multiple horses shot out yeah, from under him there, there at was, Shenandoah. There was another one? I mean, yeah, he, it was uh, all in the same battle. He was like, new horse. And that, then that one went. All he the horses like, all right. are just super They're nervous. They're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I think we're going to stay back here, sir. Wilbur. Wilbur. Got any apples? Where? Uh, I don't know. I'm... If I eat peanut butter, it looks like I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what I learned the other day. Uh, yeah, so the Battle of Cedar Creek in Virginia in 1864, I think. This was actually his final battle of the war. He had a shot from a spent musket ball enter, I think, his arm. He got on a second horse, and then his men thought that he was killed, which his death was actually erroneously reported in the press. Hold on. Was it shrapnel? You said shot from a spent... A spent I mean, technically, ball. anytime you get shot... It's from a spent round. Yeah, I guess you're right. So I'm Maybe assuming... That, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm guessing that it had to have been shrapnel, shrapnel or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, his men thought that they, that he was dead and actually went so far to say to the press that he was, and he had actually... And it's not like news that. traveled fast at that point. Right. Like, how long did they think he was dead? Weeks? I don't know. I'm not an expert on Rutherford B. Hayes. I literally just read one book, Blaine. A short one at that. Short, 150 pages. That's not enough. Actually, it's more than enough. Near the end of the war, Hayes was promoted to the rank of Brevet Major General. And following the war, he was very active in veterans' organizations. But during the war, he was elected to the House of Representatives. Yeah. Like, while he was a general? Yes. So, yeah, his friends, the Cincinnati Republicans, ran him for... Uh, just, those are all of his friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> every Cincinnati Republican was his friend. Guy. Yeah. Uh, they ran him for a seat in the House. He accepted the nomination, but he said that he was not going to campaign. He wrote his friend, who was the Secretary of State of Ohio, a letter. And in it, he said, quote, An officer fit for duty who at this crisis would abandon his post to electioneer for a seat in Congress ought to be scalped. End quote. And then they were like, by the way, you got hired. It's like, oh, great. And he's like, oh, I guess I'm leaving. Well, cool. All right. Yeah. No, he, he did finish out his time. All right, here's an early little known fact. So out of the seven U.S. presidents who served in the Civil War, Hayes was the only one who was actually wounded in action. The others were Grant, Garfield, Arthur, McKinley, Benjamin Harrison, and Andrew Johnson. I think it's Garfield that has some pretty wild war stories. It's either Garfield or McKinley. I'm pretty sure it's Garfield, like real wild. Yeah. Also, I want to say McKinley is one of only two presidents that were enlisted Okay. Because there's very few, and I, he may be hmm. the only one. Interesting. And I know it's in my notes in yeah. a future yeah. episode, but I think McKinley is the only president that was enlisted. Okay. He ended up becoming an officer. Right. No, I think there's one more. Would that have been like but, a field promotion, or would he have to say, hey, I'd rather be an officer? He, got, than he didn't get breveted. He got okay. commissioned okay. as an officer. All right. Because he was a private originally yeah. under Hayes, right. and then he got commissioned to be lieutenant. He, I think... McKinley left as a major. I think he got breveted major. And this is purely going off. Go ahead. Yeah, Russ, did you, you didn't find have anything? anything? George H.W. Bush was also enlisted. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, he seems like an enlisted. Is there something behind that? No. Because you were enlisted at one point, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. 
Sure was. <laughs> so I'm allowed to make those jokes. All right. <laughs> Uh, what's the term for it? If you if Mustang. A Mustang. That's cool. He was easily elected to the House, where he aligned with the Radical Republicans and served there from 1865 to 67. He was elected as the governor of Ohio in 1867 and served until 1872. That year, in 1872, Hayes ran for Congress again, but he lost, probably because he was spending more time campaigning for the re-election of Grant than his own election. Because of his Radical Republican space laser concepts? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's what's cool. calling all the forest fires. <laughs> that's one of those things that i had forgotten was actually out there for a time oh, yeah. for a while yeah there's, Space well it's because there's so many and they come so fast <laughs> it's impossible to remember them all political supporters encouraged hayes to run for statewide office again so as to position himself to run for president he ran for governor of ohio again in 1875 and was elected his time as governor of ohio was largely spent enacting civil service reforms and founding the ohio state university in columbus so if you are a buckeye fan you've got rutherford hayes to thank next time you're being annoying he founded the university (laughs) or he (laughs) that's good you snuck that in there and you're correct yeah um he founded it, or he was governor when it was founded? I think he was part of the founding, like, I guess, trustees or board. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he just dropped, like, five or six spots for me. I don't think it was called, like, Hayes University for a while. I think. Yeah, but, but he I was mean, the one who was like, hey, under his administration, right. we found it. I think he was actually like, part of it. Now he's right up there with the people that invented CrossFit and vegetarianism. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's, he's there, the huh? inventor of the thing that made a yeah. bunch of annoying people oh he's up there <laughs> they all started in his beard and then flew yeah. out and, and populated the earth he's like i've got this idea we're gonna start it with the word the and no one will ever forget mm, it that's right uh the time when iu and so i'm a i'm a hoosier grad has a aerial picture of their of our football stadium it's the day that Ohio State plays. Oh yeah, because it looks full in Bloomington. Yeah, yeah. There was same a, school colors. There was a guy at my high school that was getting recruited by IU, and if you looked really closely, there were just a bunch of red dots oh. to, in the stands to make it look like they were full seats. <laughs> just dots. <laughs> Some poor intern, just like yeah. with a red sharpie. Yeah, we need you to make uh, thirteen thousand dots. Will this work? <laughs> <laughs> Although Hayes was reelected as governor in our nation's centennial year, 1876, he was about to find himself named the Republican nominee for president. So the party's convention just so happened to take place in Cleveland, Ohio that year, his home state. Uh, although Hayes was not favored initially to win the nomination, his supporters created a groundswell of support for him, and Hayes won the nomination as a dark horse candidate on the seventh ballot. At the time, though, I feel like we throw dark horse around a lot. I feel like there's actually very Ever since few. James K. Polk, right? Well, right. I think Polk is one of the actual few dark horse candidates. Common practice to have multiple votes. Because like once we get into, I think, like Buchanan and Pierce time mm-hmm. frame, they're doing like 50, 60 votes. And it was really strategic. Like they'd be like, okay, we know this guy yeah. is the one that we want, but we need to do this first to get you know, Pennsylvania to eventually flip. And then once Pennsylvania flips, then we're going to position these things in. And then once we can get Wisconsin to flip, yeah. then the swell will turn and we'll get our guy. So you see people like get put in and hit this case, what the seventh. Yeah. And then in future cases, multiple times down the line, but it was really just because it was all strategic. They knew their guy was strong, but yeah. they had to eliminate some people early yeah. and get the, tied on their side yeah well he wins after seven ballots you're right though (laughs) all right 
he wasn't favored initially, but he became. Am I going crazy? No, you're not. This irrational fear that I'm going insane. Oh, you have lysophobia? Lispophobia? Speaking of that, he was a large proponent of insane asylums. Speaking of that, insane asylums. He was. That's ironic. Yeah, that he was a big proponent for insane. Was it ironic or was it driven by that? Mm. Yeah. It's very, uh, we could totally psychoanalyze it if we well, wanted to. Let's, yeah, Isn't we got it time. ironic, don't you think? So the nation was getting tired of Republican presidents in, in, in Congress. And so the votes of Southern states that still had Reconstruction governments, though, were controlled by Republican partisans. So that improved his odds. So he was given the nickname The Great Unknown because he was not well known within the Republican Party. And he focused during his campaign on civil service reform and a sound currency. And he ran against Democratic candidate Samuel Tilden, the governor of New York pretty powerful state still mm-hmm. i mean today tilden was well known nationally for breaking up the tweed ring in 1871 led by william boss tweed the corrupt leader of the legendary new york political machine tammany hall so was tilden, it the tweed machine there's something we talked about in taylor the tweed uh, doesn't matter no that was thurlow weed sorry thurlow weed yeah. the weed machine the, yeah, weed, the weed machine, machine. Yeah. aka snoop dog Mm. (laughs) Although many famous Republican speakers and even Mark Twain stumped for Hayes, he expected the Democrats to win. When the first return seemed to confirm this, Hayes went to bed believing that he had lost. But in New York, the Republican national chairman, who was aware of a loophole, wired leaders to stand firm. Hayes has 185 votes and is elected, his telegram read. The popular vote apparently was 4.3 million for Tilden and just over 4 million for Hayes. Hayes' election depended upon contested electoral votes in Louisiana, South Carolina, and Florida, and if all the disputed electoral votes went to Hayes, he would win. A single one electoral vote would elect Tilden. So this is a... Already you can see that things are brewing for a storm. A lot of hanging chats. Well, you know, it's funny... We'll get to this. Save that for a second because Florida was really involved. No, I know. Oh, yeah. So an investigator. I, I also read the book. Oh, that's right. I forget <laughs> that we're doing that together. Ever since we had one breakfast and you said, hey, I think we should read 8,700 books together. Yeah. And then I said we should do a podcast. <laughs> well, anyway, an investigative committee was formed to look at the vote because the Constitution really didn't have an answer for this, right? And so in the end, all the electoral votes were given to Hayes, which Tilden supporters saw as a corrupt backroom bargain similar to the election of 1824 that mm-hmm had John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, and all them. Yeah, quite a bit more to it than that. Okay. So after the 14th Amendment, right, and now slaves are freed and technically have the right to vote. Correct. Okay, so, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, probably more in Grant than others. It was an essential lawless time in the South. Yeah. Where Southern white folk knew that these newly freed slaves were allowed to vote, and as were people who were, you know, I guess closet abolitionists at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. They vastly outnumbered the white people in the South. Yeah. And they realized, wait a minute, we don't have to let them do anything we don't want them to do right. because we own the sheriff, we own the judge, we own the appellate court, we own like all of this. We can do literally whatever we want and it was rampant violence in the streets a lot of it was they would try to send messages by literally bringing people out torturing them and killing them and leaving their bodies in the middle of the street to send messages to the other families like hey the election's coming up you're not voting Mm. so it was a form of voter suppression Mm -hmm. that nothing that any bill passed could stop yeah so well johnson really let 
that happened when he, oh yeah i mean with the freedmen's bureau and then grant actually took on the kkk throughout the south mm-hmm. but um, this wasn't just the kkk right. this was no, just citizens saying. yeah that they didn't want you know black this was their way of called. of yeah. trying to what did you say the black codes yeah is what they were this was their way of saying like okay we lost but we can still fight you yeah. in subversive manners yeah so they were able to potentially, and, and this is what was relatively unclear through reading this and then doing some more research. It's uh-huh. like, how fraudulent was the election? Was the investigation, did they actually find what they said they found, which was multiple, like hundreds of cases yeah. of people preventing people from voting? Or was it, hey, we found a few Enough to use it as a anecdote to say it's all fraudulent. Yeah. The election's rigged. We're giving all the votes over. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that it's weird, right? Because like as I went through this, I kept thinking like, yeah, the if they're doing this, then the election results should be overturned. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, do we know that they did enough due process to make sure that there was enough of it that actually overturn it. And I think that in the long run, the answer is probably they probably didn't find as much as actually existed. Right. Like now knowing what we know now about all of the atrocities that happened, what they're telling us is probably a fraction of what actually Mm. happened. And so I, I think, and you know, I'll, I'll, you know, kind of run with it that, they're probably right in overturning it because they were there was probably so much preventing of voting that it wasn't even remotely close yeah. to the way people would have voted yeah. in the south but because they don't have a lot of hard evidence and the the commission that they sent down to south carolina and florida that grant sent down mm-hmm. he tried to make it super bipartisan but they even kind of went down they did their own thing they didn't yeah. really release any of their results and they said hey we found it was fraudulent and we're going to give it to Hayes yeah. um, because they did it in that way. People are always going to be able to question it. Yeah. The house and the Senate were controlled by two different parties and they mm-hmm. also had a contingent from the Supreme court. It was like five Democrats, four Republicans mm-hmm. and then vice versa. And I think it was like a commission of like 15, uh-huh. I think, but one of them ended up either dying or something happened where then it became just a party line vote. And then I think it, this was interesting too. So the ne- this took like four months mm-hmm. to figure out, which I mean, good gracious. Like, the- well, at the time that we were still inaugurating in March, so they had, yeah, yeah. So they had Nove- all of November, December, January, February. So think about what's in context too, where the country has just been through Grant's presidency, which. Mm-hmm. Grant aside, I mean, there was a lot of corruption that was mm-hmm. going on. There was a big depression, I think, in like 1873. The, the the nation's centennial year was happening. So it was this mix of like, hey, we hit 100 years to, wow, a lot of people are out of work. And there's a lot of instability. And then this happens. So you can see how this cauldron is brewing for him to then become president. And I didn't know this, but I'd never heard of this, the Compromise of 1877. So this was, again, sort of behind the scenes in Congress that ended military occupation in the South. This is actually a reason why Tilden didn't challenge the decision, because Hayes had agreed to this kind of informally arranged Compromise of 1877. Uh He says, okay, military occupation in the South is done, and then the Democrats are going to regain political power in the Southern state governments, and we're going to end Reconstruction. Yeah, because basically before that, each general was assigned an area. Mm -hmm. So like I know Sherman had an area for a while. Sickles had an area for a while where they were basically like the military governor of that area, and they were assigned to basically keep 
the peace, which didn't work that well. Quote unquote, peace was kept, but it was just at the expense of just a lot of people getting the crap beat out of him and put in jail. And then, yeah, Hayes had agreed like, well, okay, well, we'll give you your states back. Right. If if we just agree that I won this. Um, And Tilton said, okay, that's fair. Yeah, because they realize they can make so much more happen at the local level. They can do as much corrupt things as they want at the local. They don't need the federal government because going all the way to Eisenhower and into the 60s, the South was like, yeah, we don't care about your federal laws. We do what we want. Try to stop us. There actually is an Eisenhower-Hayes connection, which we're going to get to. Oh, great. Yes, I I will share it with you. They were both generals. Got it. Ah, Figured it it out. (laughs) Ah, Nope, it's different than that. So after Hayes is finally determined the winner, he was dubbed his fraudulency, his accidency, and Rutherfraud by two oh, like supporters. That. Isn't that fun? Rutherfraud. That was, that was my favorite. The election of 1876 would be the most controversial American election until the election of 2000. In both cases, the candidate with the popular majority lost. The problem of racial discrimination at the polls influenced both elections, and the state of Florida played a crucial role. Moreover, both defeated candidates immediately left the field. Tilden went to Europe for a while, and uh, in 2000, Al Gore disappeared from the news for several months. The internet. He, invented he went into thing. the internet. In both cases, the Supreme Court was involved with charges of the violation of states' rights. What was different, though, was the aftermath. So in 1876... It's my state's right to screw up this election, and you can't stop me. You can't stop me. (laughs) It's... The defeated Democrats in 1876 didn't want to give up the struggle for the presidency, and they sought to oust Hayes. But in 2001, this is what marks the difference uh, between the two elections. The Democrats eventually rallied to, to President Bush eventually. They, they kind of acquiesced eventually in time. The problem, though, was who decided the count, though. And it's never been satisfactorily solved. Here is a little-known fun fact. Uh, Hayes was the first and only, to date, president elected by a congressional commission. And because of the disputed election results and the fact that Inauguration Day fell on a Sunday, the Sabbath, Hayes became the first president to take the oath of office at the White House. Privately. Which is a story in and of itself. Let's get Mm -hmm. into it. It's great. I did not know this at all, but as I was reading it, this was pretty cool. So he arrives in Washington on March 3rd. He's invited to a dinner by President Grant. And at some point during the evening, Grant takes him to the Red Room in the White House and stands nearby as Supreme Court Justice Morrison White administered the oath of office. The two returned to dinner. Their guests had no idea what just took place. And as a result, March 3rd was a day when the country had two commanders in chief. So it was the opposite of Tyler. Where there was a day without a president. There you go. Yep. And to not swear in Hayes on Sunday and wait until Monday would technically mean that we would have no president for a day. They learned. Dwight Eisenhower actually (laughs) took similar dual oaths in 1957 for that same reason. So there's the Eisenhower connection. Hmm. Just Uh, a rope from... Hayes dies now. There you go. Just through all of them. <laughs> Two days later, Hayes would take a public oath on the 5th and in his inaugural address promised to serve only one term. In his speech, he sought a degree of nonpartisanship by coining the phrase, he serves his party best who serves his country best. Mm-hmm. This was interesting, too, because when he arrived to be sworn in, he was sitting on the right of the carriage, which was the spot that was always reserved for just one person, the President of the United States. So it would have taken a very careful observer to realize by where he was sitting that he was already technically President. Mm -hmm. So on that note, we're going to refresh our delicious, uh, what are we drinking again? Goose Island, what is it? Lemonade Shandy. Lemonade Shandy, and let you hear from another of our fantastic sponsors. You're listening to episode 19, The Fraudulent of the Press Control Podcast. We'll be right back. 
Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Blaine, you look different. Did you get a haircut? Oh, I did. Thanks for asking. Oh, it looks nice. People have been noticing more often since I've started going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Say that one more time. Uh, People have noticed more often since I've been going to Chop Chop Barbershop. Chop Chop. Yeah. It's this super cool, very clean spot over by 16th and College area, oh, yeah. 16th and Yandis, if you will. Okay, I will, here uh, in Indy. Yeah, super cool building, old school style barber shop. Anthony always fades me up well. He leads this diverse team of three other barbers. All three of my kids get their haircuts there. Even my wife gets her haircut Oh, they there. do ladies' cuts, yeah, too. from, you know, fades to braids and everything in between. I love that. And if I wanted more info, where could I go? I would check out, personally... ChopChopBarbers.com. Okay, ChopChopBarbers.com. From fades to braids to kitty cuts to the coolest barbershop there is. I don't want to look bad, so I'm going to go to Chop Chop Barbershop. Yeah. Doop, doop, yeah. Hey, welcome back, and thanks again to our Season 2 sponsor, Greeks Pizzeria. Go to GreeksPizzeria.com. Order some really tasty pizza right now or just later whenever you're hankering for a piece of pizza hey if you enjoy these episodes and you want to get them ad free and early and maybe even want some bonus episodes go join our patreon community you can join for as little as five bucks a month to get in ten bucks a month gets you those bonus episodes go to patreon.com slash presequential all right so two months into Hayes's inauguration he orders the removal of federal troops from South Carolina and Louisiana effectively ending reconstruction quote unquote yeah quote unquote and he essentially loses all republican support within six weeks very correct yeah he's really angered the the party because he's trying to get civil service reform passed and it's super unsuccessful in 1877 there is a railroad strike oh so that's where we first learn about eugene debs go ahead Does that name sound familiar to you at all a little bit a little bit v debs Eugene V. Debs, yeah. Well, let me tell you what happened first, and then you please open that up a bit. Uh, He dispatches federal troops to several locations to limit the violence and and the rioting by these striking railroad workers, which, for better or worse, it stops the strike. But Blaine, tell us about this guy. So Eugene V. Debs came onto the scene like right at the tail end of the railroad strike of the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, which I feel like we kind of need to paint the picture, right? So like everything is run through the railroads. Mm -hmm. So when the railroad workers struck, it basically completely halted the economy in the United States. Like we're talking like cars and cars of like ice melting, bananas going bad, like meat going bad. So, you know, millions of dollars of damage. The mail is not working anymore, which is eventually what the government used 
not in this strike, but in the Pullman strike a few years, uh, probably a couple of decades later in like the late 1890s to get the strike moving again is because it was at that point tampering with federal mail. Was the Pullman strike with uh, T.R.? With Roosevelt? Uh, no, it was Garfield. Okay. But Pullman was the guy that made those like super sleeper yeah. cars. Like he had invented yeah. that technology that literally moved buildings in Chicago. Gosh, that's amazing. So Debs comes on at the end of the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, really speaking out about how important unions are. And um, maybe we should do a, a bonus episode about him because he's from yep. Terre Haute. Yep. Um, right here in Indiana. He, he basically started his platform there, kind of claimed to fame in the Pullman strike in the late 1890s and then ended up running uh, for president four times as a an American socialist. Mm. One of the four times he was in federal prison in Atlanta and still garnered like a million votes, yeah. like 900,000 votes, yeah. I think against FDR. Yeah, and I then think you're right. FDR, I believe, pardoned him and let him come to the White House and talk to him. Yeah, and he was like, "This guy's actually kind of a nice guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. like died in the wool socialist. But yeah. yeah, we'll 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 do a bonus episode about him. Okay, um, don't make promises his, that you won't keep. Oh, fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is the beginning of of where we hear of of Eugene V. Debs. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for that. Potion. Well, this is kind of a boring part of, I mean, honestly, guys, oh, like this e- is every aspect part. Of, of Rutherford B.A.'s presidency, <laughs> this is the at least part, guys. as we're reading this book, is pretty boring. But he was also faced with making currency more stable in the U.S. while he was in office. At the time, our money was backed by gold, but this was really scarce, and a lot of politicians felt that it should be backed by silver, which was not an old oh, argument at the time. Yeah. Hayes disagreed, though, feeling gold was more stable, and there was this act in 1878 that he vetoed. It was like, the- it's got a better job. I mean, it's an accountant (laughs) stop dating the poet look i can bite it and it it bends. uh it's called the bland allison act which i feel like is really gonna be a good father namely you just never know you just want more stability give it a shot yeah he tried to veto this bland allison act in 1878 requiring the government to buy more silver in order to create coins 1879 rolls around and there's this really boring the the spra the specie payment resumption act just gets the blood pumping which species were we paying (laughs) the specie means like hard currency oh yeah i knew that (laughs) this is where we paid the species species uh it was passed and basically money was greenbacks that were created after new year's day 1879 will be backed by the gold standard Mm. so about time yeah, gosh. You know what? I feel like we need to bring a little life to the party. Uh, let's bring in Russ, who's been sitting here this whole time drinking his Goose Island... Uh, lemonade shandy. S- lemonade shandy. You'll get it. Russ, bring us some knowledge about Rutherford B. Hayes' vice president, would you? Yeah. What's uh, his name? Let's start there. Mm-hmm. William Almon Wheeler. Okay. Okay. A-L-M-O-N. Like, Oh, did he invent Almond milk? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is it spelled almond? No. Like it looks like... Okay. Well, almond without the D. Almond. Almond. Uh, Must be a family name. (laughs) Must be. Almond. (laughs) Tell us about William Almond. What was his last name? Wheeler. Wheeler. What got you so good there, Blaine? I know he's pretty excited about it. I don't know. (laughs) I guess all names are family names. I thought it was his last name, and you were doing a tongue in cheek, like, must be a family name. Yeah, it was his last name, but it's his middle name. Got it. All right. It's not as funny anymore. William Almond Wheeler? Yeah, from New York. Okay. 
Well, yeah. that must have been interesting. Oh, in the shocking. Campaign. So we've got a president from Ohio and Wait a vice a president from New York. Well, no I mean, that's way. the reason. That's a lot of the reason they put him on the ticket is because they had the president from Ohio and from the Midwest, and they wanted to. And their opponent. did he come from a uh, uh, Tammany Hall too? Well, he didn't. I mean, he. Yeah. The other reason they brought him on was because he was uncorruptible. He was known as oh, sure. in, okay. incorruptible. Yeah. In, sure. Non corruptible. Got it. There in, you go. In, uh, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the acting head of the Senate. That's not true. Well, he was a, isn't that his job? Yeah. Well, before okay. he was VP, the reason <laughs> oh, people okay. thought he okay. was non corruptible was when he was in the House, he chaired the committee on Pacific Railroads. And at no that time, there. that's when the Credit Mobilier. Scandal oh, happened yeah, with Grant, right? uh-huh. and he was the one guy that came out unscathed from that. Oh, yeah. So the PR team, they spun well, it was, it. yeah. I mean, it was Oaks Ames was an I representative, and he was the the agent for the Credit Mobilier group at the time. He was okay. the one that was going into the house and spreading railroad stock around all the high ranking members of Congress. You take some. You get some railroad stock. <laughs> you you get, get some, some railroad yeah. stock. Like, look know. under your chairs, everybody. <laughs> yeah. His name was Oaks? Oaks Ames. That's a cool name. It huh. is a cool Oaks name. It's, it sounds like a singer-songwriter from Portland. Yeah. Who's okay. not firebombing yeah. his that's, neighborhood. He's got a legit. drum and uh, he's like one of those one-man bands. Yeah, yeah, tambourine. Yeah. He's playing yeah. outside of Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. He drives he's home in his Tesla. And he's like, I want to throw this guy money. He knows my song. All right, sorry. Yeah. Oaks Ames, Credit Mobilier. Yeah, yeah. Spread stock around. Quote where it would do the most good. Huh. So to the right people. Yeah, rich people, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Wheeler not only refused all stocks offered to him, but resigned his chairmanship to avoid further temptation. Oh. Yeah. And in 1872, when the Mobilier scandal broke in the newspapers, Wheeler remained clean. as Some of the oh. most prominent members of Congress were caught up with the stock. Okay. Yeah. So that was... He was living above reproach. Yeah. Yeah. And then another reason is Senator Roscoe Conkling. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've heard his name. Yeah, we have. Like Roscoe. Yeah. The, he was with I mean, not uh, personally. Roscoe like, P. Conkling. Yeah, Wasn't he in the mix name. with uh, yes. Arthur? Mm. Well, he was. We haven't heard his name yeah, up till now. Yeah, You've yeah, read his name. Yeah, I've read his name. He's uh, the. Oh, Roscoe Conkling. Roscoe yeah. Conkling. Yeah. yeah. He was like the Republican political boss of New York at the yeah. time. That's Tammany Hall. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah. You said well, he wasn't in Tammany. Well, I said I said he, in he was. Well, I'm saying one of the reasons that they thought of him as such an honest man was because when Roscoe Conkling said, Wheeler, if you act with us, there is nothing in the gift of the state of New York which you may not reasonably aspire. To which Wheeler replied, Mr. Conkling, there is nothing in the gift of the state of New York which will compensate me for the forfeiture of my self-respect. Wow. Yeah. There's some wild Conkling stories out yeah. there. Yeah, like no at doubt. one point he like walks hours in a blizzard and gets lost at one point and like lays down for a minute yeah, and then gets I? up and keeps walking. When this is all during Arthur. Like and then Arthur Garfield gets shot and Arthur's yeah. like, you know what? This whole corruption thing yeah. sucks. Uh, I'm turning on you, Roscoe, yeah. and like buried the guy. How dare you? Yeah, we'll talk about that later. I'm throw no you no in Hudson. <laughs> I um, hate you, Grover Cleveland. Wait, no, who was it? Garfield. I hate you, James Garfield. Yeah, no, his career took a nosedive when Roscoe Conkling. It got shot along with Garfield. Ooh. 
Too soon there, guy. Listen, let me tell you all about right. a good piece Sorry. of pie. You, you go you're, down in all fairness, you look annoyed right now, but you're the one that brought Roscoe Conte. There's right. not a whole lot here, so I'm letting you guys <laughs> so really just, riff here. Let me just keep going with Roscoe Conte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conte. no, you can go with Roscoe Listen, Conte. Listen, let me tell you where the best slice is. That you go down, not, to, you go down to Times New Square. There's this place it. called Sabaro. <laughs> all right? I own a waste management company. All right. Go to GreeksPizzeria.com. <laughs> <laughs> Russ. Yeah, he voted against the uh, <laughs> the salary grab in Congress as well. They voted themselves a pay rise. Raise? Raise? Rise, right? I think it was rise back then. Okay. They didn't yeah. have A's to put in their words. Yeah, I don't think so. It's a they didn't rise. have the they AI scenario. Listomania or whatever it was. Lithophobia. <laughs> yeah. Lithophobia. Listen, if lithophobia comes around the corner and gets you, you tell them Roscoe Conklin tells that lithophobia to go home to Jersey. Have you just been working on a New York accent recently? And you're like, now's the chance to bring it this out. This whole time, Roscoe Conkling. Right. Is that your newest cartoon character? Is it an alien from New York? Alien Roscoe. They brought him on to the vice presidential ticket for that reason. And he didn't do a whole lot as a vice president. <laughs> I mean, to be completely honest. He was, well, his... He just woke up at 10 every day. He, he, man, he really did. Went on down to the Like, there... There was not a whole lot. His his yeah. wife had died like three months before okay. uh, his inauguration. And then because of that, he became very friendly with the Hayes family. Okay. Like he was a constant. Mm. How friendly did he become? No, I yeah. mean, like fireside chat oh. type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Go and do not drink alcohol mm. next to a fire. You know. Like. <laughs> just watched his boss just stroke his beard all <laughs> yes, night. This water's yeah. great. Yeah. It's really it's good. Yeah, it's awesome. Just, I'm, I'm having a great time it's drinking water. water. Yeah. Sitting by warm, this fire. Warm, opaque water. I mean, he was legitimately a great guy, but... Sounds like it. <sighs> Man, just just not a lot just during his vice presidency. On. What was no. this guy's name again? William Almond Milk. Almond Wheeler. William Almond Wheeler. There's no Wow. 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 <laughs> Russ. Um, a vice president. Gosh, that was underwhelming. <laughs> Non-corruptible. This whole thing is... I know. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Russ, thank you, as You're always. Uh, like, even some of the other really boring ones, we've been able uh, to really dive in and oof. find stuff. But this guy, uh, well, yikes. Things don't go much better in 1880. <laughs> Hayes has to deal with the issue of Chinese immigration. And in the West, no, there's this... No, that's not... Okay, sorry. He did. It's it, not it, an issue, though. In the West... It's, okay, it's listen. people immigrating. Here's backstory, it's an issue. okay? In the West, there was a strong anti-Chinese movement as many individuals who argued that the immigrants were taking over too many jobs out West. Oh. Okay, so... He, that, re, that was their yeah. argument against the immigrants? That was they the were th- taking their jobs? That's right. Huh. Huh. Weird. Weird. History repeating Good thing itself. nobody else has thought of that. Well, he vetoed a law passed by Congress that would have severely restricted Chinese immigration. In 1880, he ordered William Evarts, his Secretary of State... <laughs> Evarts, not. <laughs> it's like the new app. It just plays fart sound. This is Evarts. I'm sending my friends Evarts. Hey, Bill, Evarts, where are you? Get over here, Billy. Come here, man. Tell the people what you do. Oh, this guy's great. You got to get a kick out of him. Like sir, my name, button. sir, my name is William Evarts. Say it again one more time. Whatever, Evarts. Come here. Evarts. Yeah. What are you doing? Tell them I'm, how we're going to get rid of the Chinese people. Sir, I'm the Secretary of State. <laughs> also, you're from Ohio. Why do you sound Why do you sound like you're from... I'm from the West. Sir, why are you from Gulf Shores, Alabama? 
Anyway, he sends he farts to meet with the Chinese and create restrictions on Chinese immigration. This was a compromise position, allowing some immigration, but still quieting those who wanted it to be stopped altogether. So... I don't know what we give Hayes on that, but it happened while he was president. So there you go. Uh, the policy he's actually best remembered for. Now, saying that he's best remembered for something when none of us remembered mm-hmm. anything about him is saying something. It actually had nothing to do about uh, lawmaking. It was his shocking. Pre- yeah, right. It was his preference for a dry White House. So oh, he, yeah. he banned wine and liquor. Did j- he or did Lucy? Well, check this out. Okay, so it wasn't just at his like own personal meals, but any like dinner or banquet that his administration hosted, there was no alcohol. And so a lot of people have blamed it on his wife, Lucy, who mm-hmm. really were drinking in honor of tonight, yeah. drinking this lemonade. Take shame. that. Yeah, take it. But they And they called her Lemonade Lucy, but Hayes was all for it as well because he wanted to get political favor with the prohibitionists. Mm-hmm. And the influential Protestant ministers who, from the pulpit, basically he they had political clout from from where they were. So, Good, which they don't anymore, thank God. <laughs> um, we'll say this about Lucy: the first first lady with a college degree. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She got a liberal arts degree from Cincinnati Wesleyan Female College in 1850 at the age of 18. That's pretty impressive. CWFC it took 19 before. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, granted, like. First lady well, to graduate training, college, man. Yeah, to to awesome. Lucy. So say yeah. what you will about, you know, being a teetotaler. Who cares? Whatever. She just yeah. didn't want, you know. Okay. That's She's, fair. They were both really very smart. I mean, Harvard Law and... Have it. Ha, have it. Have it Law, Cincinnati Ladies College. <laughs> <laughs> it's, do, do you like apples? <laughs> it's hard to say Ohio words in a Boston accent. Have it. Have it. What part of the White House would not serve an alcohol? <laughs> All of it, dear. All of it. What part? All of it. All right, sorry. So, uh, how do you say this word? Czar? Yes, Czar Alexander II of Russia. You actually, said, hold on. <laughs> Did you not know how to say the well, word Well, I was going czar. with Czar, but I see a C and a Z, and I'm like, oh, how do I say that? It's not like, okay. All right. Uh, the adult sons of Tsar Alexander II of Russia visited, but the first couple didn't drink any alcohol, although they served oh, it. That was probably a problem with the Russians. <laughs> just show up hammered. Yeah, they're like, what do you mean? But so we just drink vodka? We do so. <laughs> like, no, nothing. Like, mm, Why so you one eating? bottle? <laughs> so what? Yeah. How do you serve your bottle? Yeah. I have a bottle of control. What do I do with this caviar that's currently in my mouth? Like, you must I can't. be joking. Yeah. You're crazy American. <laughs> Please, pour more vodka for I've been drinking Lucy. since I was four. <laughs> four years old. Yeah. Yes. Okay, surprisingly, Hayes actually spent more money after the ban on alcohol, ordering that any savings from eliminating alcohol be used on more lavish entertainment. So it wasn't that he was a prude. It was just that he was doing it for the political... Yeah, uh, no, hold on. Guys, 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 it's fine. I'm going to privately screen Sound of Music. (laughs) We'll we'll watch it sober. It'll be fine. You got three and a half hours? We'll sit here and watch this boring garbage. It is not a good movie. Oh, man. I know a lot of people think it is. It's just, ah. Do you like that movie, Russ? I've never seen it. You've never seen it? This came up recently. history, you know. Yeah. Nazis. I know there's Nazis. Oh, now I get it. I just thought you hated Julie Andrews. (laughs) I do. I am 16. He's like, well, oh, hey, do you guys want to get some water later? You want to eat some of Andrew Jackson's cheese? We still got it downstairs. (laughs) 
I'm surprised I remembered that. Okay. Whew. All right, so uh, in retirement, gosh, let's get him out of the White House, please. Uh, <laughs> he decides early on that he's not going to run for a second term. He actually promised it in his inaugural speech. He retires from politics in 1881, and the Democrats' failure to renominate Tilden and the victory that followed of the Republicans when Garfield and Chester Arthur, that ticket, won, was his final, basically, tribute to his politics. He says, listen... You guys couldn't renominate the candidate that I ran against. My guys won, so he basically saw that as a huge victory. Causes that were important to him in retirement included temperance. He founded uh, scholarship funds for white and black young people in the South, especially. He became one of Ohio State University, the Ohio State University's trustees. Yeah, don't get that wrong. That's wrong. And in his later years, he would live to see Presidents Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, and Harrison all serve in the White House. His beloved Lucy passed away. And he was like, yeah, they're doing a lot. <laughs> oh, what do they guys? do? They realize they don't have to do anything, right? Okay. What are they doing? Where's he farts? <laughs> Look at these guys. He farts. Do your thing again. Do what, do what you do, sir. Uh, I've been dead for four years. Uh, I will. I will say. I'll give him this. Yeah. Uh, coming off the heels of the Civil War, Reconstruction, yeah. and all of the action in Grant's presidency with yeah. the Eight crises. Yeah. yeah. It was probably good for the country to have a boring four years. Yeah, just kind of... It's, it's probably what we needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I honestly, I just don't know enough about world history at that point of what's going on externally. But internally, the states well, are... France is probably fighting somebody. Somebody. Like, if you... <laughs> it's... It's you, if you throw a dart, France. It's, there's a pretty good chance France is fighting him at yeah. that point. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cold in Russia. France is fighting somebody. Well, that's that's what's happening in the world. That's what's going on. Yeah, yep. Lucy passes away in 1889, and uh, Rutherford would die of complications of a heart attack at his home in Fremont, Ohio, named Spiegel Grove. Four years later, after his wife, on January 17th, 1893, at the age of 70, his last words were, I know that I'm going where Lucy is. His last words were, I can use a drink. (laughs) Now that she's finally gone, (laughs) someone pour me four fingers of bourbon. (laughs) President-elect Cleveland and Ohio Governor William McKinley led the funeral procession that followed the body of 19th President Rutherford B. Hayes to Oakwood Cemetery, where he was buried. When he died in January 1893, the New York Sun on its front page said, Although his administration was disgraced by no great scandal, the taint of the theft of the presidency clung to it to the last, and Mr. Hayes went out of office, carrying with him the contempt of the Democrats and the indifference of the Republicans. Was that, sorry, name of the presidents he saw after? Uh, Garfield, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, Arthur, who Arthur, succeeded obviously. him after the yeah, assassination. Harrison Cleveland? Harrison Cleveland. So, okay, so it was Cleveland's second term? Yep. Okay. In 1915, both he and Lucy were transferred to the grounds of Spiegel Grove, the same place where he once conducted his front porch campaign for the presidency. The Hayes' second son, Webb, was a Medal of Honor recipient and lobbied hard to found the Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Center, the first presidential library. No, not in the current library system. Remember, we talked about that. Why do you have to point at me, Blaine? <laughs> so you know I'm talking to you. Well, I can see you, your eyes. I point eyes at you every time I talk to you. That's a good point. The current presidential library system was signed in by FDR and Woodrow Wilson was grandfathered in, yeah. remember? So anything before that would just be considered a museum eh, or I guess a you're home. Right. Yeah. Okay. We were told that by a historian. An executive director. Yeah, he of the definitely Harrison would know home. what he was talking about. That's right. 
He's listening to this right now, just screaming in his car. No, I feel like he's not. He heard Charlie. the first five minutes and he was like, ah, I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. We'll go to the next one. Uh, we're going to get another one of these uh, Goose Island Lemonade Shandies and uh, let you hear from another one of our sponsors before we dive into Rutherford Hayes' legacy and little known facts. You're listening to episode 19, The Fraudulent. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your order set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. All right, you're listening to episode 19, The Fraudulent, of the podcast that goes from 1 to 45 and under 90. And we're doing all right because, let's face it, Hayes was a one-termer and kind of boring. And uh, we are going to spice it up now with some legacy and little-known facts. You guys ready for this? Okay, so Hayes doesn't really have a strong legacy, as we've already been talking about. His presidency (laughs) started very controversially, and it was a very turbulent time for our country, economically and culturally. But he's really most remembered for ending Reconstruction during one of the most ragged seasons of our nation's history. So, mm-hmm. good or bad, to the, that that's yeah. really what he's I mean, best I would argue for. he didn't, but... Didn't end it, or... I would say that Reconstruction really lasted probably another hundred years. Okay. Yeah, that's so, just one man. That's fine. Okay, so every episode we talk about where each president sits according to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey. Low. How low do you think he is? Low, 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 low. low. Like low, like an evangelist quad singing group that has the one really low guy oh, that everybody bass? cheers for like, when he does the, and then the do, 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 do. yeah, like the uh, the Gatlin brothers, yeah, exactly. or the Oak Ridge exactly. boys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is low. You're right. Uh, he sits at 32 according to the most recent C-SPAN presidential historian survey, below General Zachary Taylor and above George W. Bush. How much do you want to bet that they got done with the list and they were like, "Why is there only?" 44. Uh, I think the last oh, time they did we it forgot was... Hayes. Just throw him in somewhere. <laughs> Hayes? Who's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the last time they did it might have been in 17. Yeah, so, so yeah. So, yeah. Think, Why are there only 43? Right. Uh, finish this sentence. I always put you on the spot. Well, not always, but sometimes. Rutherford Hayes is the reason the United States... Specie payments. Has specie payment? Why greenbacks are backed <laughs> by gold? Yeah, I don't... Dude, I don't know. That's riveting. It's Russ, what about you? What do you think? How would you finish that statement? Was completely unaffected by Rutherford B. Hayes' presidency. <laughs> That's fair. He said taking a sip of his goose It's the reason we have another election to talk mm. about when things right. are weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get into little known facts. This is one okay. of my favorite parts of every episode. You had mentioned Lucy Hayes was the first to graduate college. That's kind of cool. He had the very first White House Easter egg hunt. Did you have that one? I did have Dang this it. one. No, that's okay. I, I, we're on a mission together and to the, bring this enlightenment to the world. Yeah. But I, I, the, the that one was great, one though. I found about. Yeah. Well, we, is that the one that you had the big story about? No, it gets oh, better. Okay. <laughs> but this, okay, let's let's talk about the Easter egg roll. So we know this is an annual tradition. Like yeah. we've, we've all grown up seeing that happening. Well, without Hayes, it might not exist. 
Back in the early 19th century, kids started rolling Easter eggs down the lawn of the Capitol building. And in the 1700s, the event had become a spring tradition in D.C. But in seven, er, I'm sorry, 1876, sick of noisy kids ripping up its lawn, Congress passed literally the Turf Protection Law. Mm. <laughs> Leave it to Congress, man. The Those me- children are having fun? Enough of that. The measure banned any portion of the Capitol grounds and terraces from being used as playgrounds. <laughs> it was like the first keep off the grass yeah. moment. What are we doing? Oh, it's not yeah. much. You know what we should do? You seen all those kids? I have. They're annoying. It was their version of next door. <laughs> so the very first, it was next door 1.0 was Congress being like, no more rolling eggs. Can we outlaw fun today? <laughs> we got the power to do that, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's pass the turf protection law. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> anyway, Hayes is out on a walk. This is people that rode horses to work. Like, <laughs> come on. He's, he's out for a walk, and a group of would-be egg rollers approach him to complain about the turf war. Not spring rollers. Egg rollers. <laughs> egg rollers. And they, they petition to the president real time on the streets of D.C. while he's just out on a walk. These little kids, all they want to do is roll eggs. Please, sir. More please, eggs. Please. And they lobby for their rights as freeborn Americans to roll <laughs> eggs on grass. What is this? North Korea? They shouted. He was like, why did you cut the bottom part of your jeans off? <laughs> You look sickly. <laughs> Take some of my beard. What, it has what is this powers new beard you have that's only around your mouth that's, and down? That's odd. It, and they're like, we call it a goatee. A goatee? I have a goat back at the White House where we could roll eggs. Russ looks very confused. I Russ. am. All right. So first of all, he then he invites them all over. He's like, you know what? I know egg roll place. at my house. Egg roll at my house. And, the and they're tradition- like, it's not going to be just vegetables, right? Like this egg roll is going to have <laughs> some meat in it. Do you actually have lemonade there? Like, <laughs> sir, can I get some bourbon? You're 11 years old, child. I'm from Kentucky. Anyway, uh, the tradition then returns from the brink of extinction. Oh, you like oh, that? I, no, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> no. I just hope our listeners realize the skill Russ, it go ahead. takes to come up with those puns. Go ahead, Russ. What is an egg roll? I thought it was an egg hunt. They don't oh, do an Easter egg hunt. Oh, you do Passover. Okay, yeah. so an egg roll. Okay, we, we don't egg. roll eggs at my house either. That's right. It does not involve haroset. An egg roll is like <laughs> a spring roll, but it's much larger well, and usually it has now. pork. <laughs> no. It's fried. It's in a wonton. They wrap no. up like a burrito. No, both of you. No. We know all about Chinese food. <laughs> okay. They oh, were... yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a... What's the lawn game? Like croquet, I think. It's like who can roll their Easter egg the farthest without it breaking. That's not how croquet works at all. Well, it's, I said it's like <laughs> croquet. Nope. So if you've ever rolled uh, an Easter egg or seen it on TV around Easter time. I haven't you've got Ruthford, either of those things. Rutherford B. Hayes. We have Rutherford B. Hayes to thank again for something we've never heard of. Saved it from egg, <laughs> eggs. televised? Extinction. No. Okay. Now they do Easter egg hunts. Extinction. Right. Uh, in 1879, yeah. he signed the act to relieve certain... Listen to even the act. The, the name of the bill. The act to relieve certain legal disabilities of women. That's the name of the act. Oh, Which cleared the way for female attorneys to argue cases in any U.S. federal court. In 1880, Belva Lockwood became the first female lawyer to argue a case before the U.S. (laughs) Supreme Court. 
Oh boy, here we go. It's 1878, you guys, and the American consul in Bangkok knew yeah. Lucy Hayes loved Woo! her some this cats. Is the best. Okay, here, cold open time. Uh, <sighs> just stick with us to the little known facts. <laughs> Lucy Hayes hated alcohol, loved cats, all right? The American consul arranges for the delivery of the first Siamese cat in America, David B. Sickles wrote to the First Lady to tell her that he had read about how much she loved felines and then introduced a new pet, writing in his letter, and I quote, (laughs) This pussy goes to Hong Kong, whence she will be transshipped by the Occidental and Oriental Line, in charge of the purser, to San Francisco, and then sent by express to Washington. End quote. Yeah. The Hayes named the cat, which arrived in 1879, Siam. When I was typing that quote into my laptop, I knew how uncomfortable it would be (laughs) to say certain words Mm -hmm. in the aforementioned quote, which is why I did it with an accent to try to (laughs) avoid any usage of that later in life. Yeah, because Siam... Oh, you thought I was talking about Siam. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, that's not the word? Siam was like a what they called like a region, right? What is right? now Thailand. Yeah. yeah, Siam. Yeah. And Oof. then made famous by the Aristocats. No, that was in Lady and the Tramp. Oh. That was in Lady and the Tramp where the two Siamese cats show up. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because the husband and wife... The Aristocats the had baby. the whole other racial problem with the cats... Yes. Yeah. I actually have never seen that movie, but I know enough to know yeah. that that's, yeah, it's one of those Disney vault ones. It's, <laughs> it's in the vault for a reason. Uh, Hayes has the distinction of being the first president to use a telephone. Alexander Graham Bell personally installed one in the White House in 1879 and gave it the phone number one. Hmm. Oh, That perfect. was the phone number yeah. one. Uh, Hayes was also the first president to have a typewriter in the White House. So technology, it just kind of goes to show you where technology was back in the day. Uh, he became the first president to visit the West Coast in 1880. He took a 71-day trip that took him beyond the Rocky Mountains to the West Coast. Busy as he was, he was an avid genealogist, and he succeeded in tracing his ancestry back almost to the Mayflower. He was busy. Was that a tongue-in-cheek joke? No, I mean, he was, I mean he's president. He was. He's, well, it's not, it's not, it's not exciting Yeah, I mean, stuff. people are still coming in off the street like, can I have a job? I mean, why does it smell like 60-year-old cheese in here? Yeah. Mm. Um, this was cool. I didn't know this. He collected portraits of his predecessors while he was president. Okay. So you see a lot of the portraits there. Yeah. yeah. Up to that point, no one had really thought like, maybe we should all collect all these portraits and hang them up. He was oh. he was influential in that. Okay. Halloween 2020. So this is recently. The Rutherford B. Hayes Presidential Library and Museum in Fremont, Ohio. Did an egg roll. They didn't do an egg roll. <laughs> but they did host an exhibit called Ohio, an Unnatural <laughs> History. <laughs> Which featured a dozen mythical creatures that have captured the imaginations of Ohioans, such as the Mothman, Brutus the Buckeye, an an amphibian humanoid called the Loveland Frog, my sister lives in Loveland, Ohio, and Grassman, Ohio's version of, (laughs) of Bigfoot. I just thought that was interesting of like all the things that the Rutherford B. Hayes Museum could have hosted. It was the Grassman. Okay, this is funny, too. So at the same center, the Presidential Center in Fremont, this was several years ago, in 1998, this was funny. So a staff member there at his Presidential Center is opening mail, and a piece addressed directly to the former president 
caught her eye. Dear Rutherford, the postcard began, we're excited for you. The card went on to offer the president, who'd been dead for more than a century, the opportunity to purchase a vacation in the Caribbean (laughs) at an extremely discounted rate. So the press soon found out about this. The company who sent the offer basically had to apologize, explaining, oh, well, someone from the center must have made a purchase from the catalog and something must have happened. I'm sorry that your dead president got on our direct mail list. (laughs) But the folks there at the center took everything in stride and replied, this was a great reply, that the 19th president would sadly be unable to accept the offer, saying, Rutherford's a little lethargic these days. Oh. Okay, now we get to my favorite little-known fact about President Rutherford B. Hayes of all time. Russ, this one's for you. So I was learning about this. I'm like, Russ is going to love this. And we hope you love this, too. All right, so his hometown in Delaware, Ohio, there was, uh, like, the birth site, right? But Mm -hmm. it's since been bulldozed. And there's Mm -hmm. just basically a plaque at a gas station that's basically like, Rutherford B. Hayes was born here. Also, Twix are two for three bucks. (laughs) Okay. So, however... In Paraguay, the country Paraguay, people might find this very offensive because Rutherford B. Hayes is a national treasure in the country of Paraguay. Why? Did you guys know this? No. Clearly not. So there's statues, schools, streets named after him. (laughs) Stamps. There's even a region in Paraguay that's the size of South Carolina called Presidente Hayes. It's a region (laughs) of their country. There's a city in Paraguay named Villa Hayes, which is actually right in the middle of Presidente Hayes. There's a soccer team called Los Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) The formal name of their soccer club is Club Presidente Hayes. What? It's based in the capital. Uh, One year, a young Paraguayan girl who came out of a coma in 2014 requested, nope, I don't want to go to Disneyland. I want to go visit the Hayes Presidential Center in Fremont, (laughs) Ohio, which was granted. It gets better, though, you guys. Okay, so you're thinking, why the heck is Rutherford B. Hayes, like, idolized? Yeah. All right. So from 1864 to 1870, Paraguay was engaged in one of the bloodiest wars in the history of the American continents, the War of the Triple Alliance. I've never heard of this. Two-thirds of Paraguay's population were mercilessly killed by the forces of Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay. Mm -hmm. But even after the war, Argentina and Paraguay continued to fight over this piece of land known as the Chaco. Uh, It's like this big part. It's a taco. It's like an ice cream taco. Right. The chocolate taco portion of Paraguay. We're so sorry, you guys. We know (laughs) know that this is your favorite Sounds like we're describing the World Cup. Unable to come to a resolution, (laughs) diplomats from both countries travel to to D.C. so President Hayes could broker a deal, which he does. He decides in favor of Paraguay. Okay. And he's been a national hero ever since. (sighs) This is amazing. I'm not making this up. Once every 50 years, Via Hayes, this region in Paraguay, hosts a huge festival in his honor. The next one is in 2028. So someone needs to start looking for our flights. I feel <laughs> yeah. like we got to go. Oh, man. I feel like we got to uh, yeah. go. We want to go to this. 2028. <laughs> there also should be like a Disney Pixar movie about this. <gasps> yeah. Where it's like, remember Hayes. <laughs> Because he made our country free, remember Hayes. <laughs> That's a Coco reference. Oh, I haven't seen that. Movie. Oh, man. Oh, wow. You would love Coco. Yeah, well, you would know. love Coco. Yeah, would I? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. They're singing. Maybe I'll watch it. 
So I just found that absolutely amazing. I, yeah, so that's probably the biggest revelation this, <laughs> of this episode is that you, of all people, haven't seen Coco. I haven't seen Coco. I've heard of the movie, obviously, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, you would love that. I was just blown away that the country of Paraguay is like, this is our guy. That's this fantastic. guy right here. Isn't that yeah, amazing? That's, yeah. yeah. They have a they have a festival every fifty years. Uh, yeah, they they named a bridge after him. There are great quotes if you look this up online. Just type in Paraguay Rutherford B Hayes. Like the director of their regional government is like worse. We don't get why he's not bigger in the U.S. Like, <laughs> like literally called him a national treasure. <laughs> It's amazing. Thanks, you guys, for listening to the Presequential Podcast. Especially by, this one. Yeah, brought to you by Greek's Pizzeria. If you love this episode, please subscribe. That really helps, especially if you leave a review as well. Our next episode on 20th President James Garfield will be released on Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. In the meantime, please connect with us. Engage. Give us your silly comments. Start warming up your lasagna. At, for the Garfield episode <laughs> at Presequential. Also, we've said this before, but if you love this podcast and you want to get episodes early and ad-free, join our Patreon community for as little as five bucks a month at patreon.com slash Presequential. For $10 a month, you can also get our exclusive bonus episodes on other influential Americans sent to you. Sign up today at patreon.com slash Presequential. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to episode 19, The Fraudulent of the Presequential Podcast. <laughs>